if a faith leader has not done their own work of healing from their trauma, there's no way they're going to recognize trauma in someone else. In fact, they're probably going to be triggered by other people more than they're going to be able to recognize trauma in someone else. So a trauma-informed leadership, just trauma-informed people in general would be great. I think of how police officers are not that trauma-informed, and that's disturbing because they have to make quick assessments and judgments on on situations, and sometimes they need to already have that in their toolbox. Welcome to the Models We Live By podcast, the podcast that explores how overcoming the mental models we all hold on to can help us grow to become better people. Hey, Wendy, how are you doing? Hey, hey there. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I am doing interesting. I've had lots of conferences that I need to process they're both church conferences for how can we make church spaces more inclusive yes your post the other day about that i was like as someone walking around with complex trauma and ptsd i never actually thought about that but yes if i wanted to run i got to deal with susan here being like wendy where are you going you know and that doesn't <laughs> exactly. make me feel safe susan's great but uh yeah yeah that's that whole thing of i already feel like that but i cannot imagine people that need that safety because of other issues than than mm -hmm. being a trans woman like can we think about space design physical space mm -hmm. design instead of let's start a church let's go theater style can we hire a consultant that can think about the yes. the makeup of our space more importantly is... can you pay said consultant for their knowledge and their oh, expertise because the church loves to just like you know pimp you out for like <laughs> lack of better word say more what do i hear some saltiness for churches not willing to pay consultants um do i feel like they perpetuate free labor at the cost of emotional health and well-being yeah yeah i do like i've definitely very salty about that yeah there there you said it and i think that needs to be said more you are valuable i know you do consult and you're valuable and not just monetarily people need to see that you need to be acknowledged so let's start this off by i acknowledge you you are special not in a like you're special but <laughs> you are special you are worth it <laughs> And I acknowledge you from one consultant to another. Hmm. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Same to you as well. You are valuable. <laughs> you. Yes. Thanks. So we just started off about saltiness and consultants and churches. But for the people who are listening to this, they have no idea who you are. Can you give a small introduction? Sure. So when I meet most people and they hear about what I do for a living, they're very quick to either tell me one of two things. They want to tell me their life story or convince me that they've never experienced trauma. And pretty quickly, when the latter of the two, I, I'm ready to dispel any notion that you have never gone through trauma and just let you know that 
no one gets out of this life unscathed. So I'm a healing coach and I'm the founder and executive director of a nonprofit called Grit Plus Gumption Farmstead. Um, We serve women survivors of sexual exploitation and domestic violence. We provide free therapeutic services. We build community with them. We host quarterly healing retreats, all with Mm -hmm. the sole purpose of empowering women to continually pursue holistic healing within a safe community. So I've been working in anti-trafficking for nearly eight years. We worked in Houston before, and now I'm in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I've also served as a trainer for trafficking awareness in several capacities, ran a ministry in Brenham, Texas, which is a little town that's halfway in between Houston and Austin. During a time when the oil field was collapsing in Houston and many people were flocking to Austin. So we're right along that main drag, and we saw a Mm. lot of trafficking happened in that time i'm still of course so i'm not new to the road of healing i personally live with ptsd and complex trauma i'm a survivor of both domestic violence and sexual exploitation so we are a survivor-led organization i'm very open about the intimate partner violence and domestic violence experiences that i've had but i'm still kind of healing and recovering for sure from the sexual exploitation because that was actually a new memory that came to me just last year so i mean you can already see like between everything that i do that like obviously healing is not linear we don't start and end right we just never fully arrive at this destination we just keep like crawl clawing our way you know Mm. forward so besides that i'm also a mom and a wife my family and i live on two acres just south of fort worth and you know i have to say because i live in texas i was not born here Mm. i was born and raised (laughs) on long island new york and then when i was like nine or ten we moved to houston and i grew up there so we've lived all over but we've been here for over five years I, I hear a little bit of personal passion for why you started Grit Plus Gumption, but can you tell me a little bit more about why you were interested in becoming a healing coach? About four years ago, I wanted to get back into anti-trafficking work after taking a hiatus. And so I went and mm-hmm. saw my friend Emily. She runs Jesus Said Love down in Waco. She's an amazing human being. And I was like, you know, how do I get back into this. What do you think I should do? Who do you think I should talk to? And she paused and she looked at me and she said, you know, Wendy, the people that have longevity in this type of the work are the people that know their stories really well. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know my story really well. Like Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of stuff going on there. Like it's a long story, you know? And she was like, I want you to read this book. So I devoured this book called To Be Told by Dan Allender within 24 hours of getting home. And I just fell in love with it. The idea of story work to do as a modality Mm. for healing completely changed my life. I started working for free at the church and leading women's groups through story work. I don't recommend that, (laughs) but I did. And then shortly after that, I felt like I was actually at a conference in Austin and I felt the the words keep coming to me, healing coach, healing coach. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And so if you're going to ask something weird of someone in Texas, they got to be in Austin. Like Austin people are just down, okay? And I was like, do you even think that's a thing? And they were all very – that's totally a thing. Like they knew yes. a healing coach or something. Yes. So <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'll just – dive right in so of course continuing to do my own personal story work and just seeing the benefits of it just how it had completely changed everything for me and I just saw things in a new 
perspective, I was like, more people need to know about this. So that's eventually just how I became a healing coach. That is awesome. I love that you say that you are attracted by the story-based model. You cannot detract from stories. You can be academic and say, when we talk about science, people can't see me now. I'm pulling up my glasses that I don't have on. Like, be sophisticated. But a story, you cannot detract from that. Mm-hmm. This is my story. It's your your lived experience. Like, no one can argue with that at all. It's the, you're an expert on your lived experience. No one else right. is. Right. It's powerful. We do things without knowing it. Like we behave on autopilot 90% of the time. So what is trauma contributing to that 90% of autopilot? When you experience trauma, your lens completely changes. So think of you, (laughs) as I've gotten older, I've need more glasses and stronger glasses, right? So like each year I go in and get a different prescription. So think of trauma as just that different prescription that you see the world through instead of, you know, in some ways I would say you see it more clearly, unfortunately, in other ways you see it more blurry. For example, in my lived experience, I was raised by a narcissistic parent and I immediately jumped into many other abusive relationships because abuse is my Mm. norm, Mm -hmm. right? So that doesn't seem out of the norm at all, as well as experiencing neglect and um, later in life sexual assault and and, uh, all these things change and shape the way that we see and experience the world and the way that we see and experience each other. You know, there's always those videos on the internet of like some woman completely freaking out, you know, in the middle of Starbucks, And like people just want to be like, oh, she's crazy, you know, whatever. Um, She's probably having a nervous breakdown and she's probably dealing with undealt trauma or in fact not dealing with her undealt trauma. So it completely changes the way that we interact with one another, the way that we trust or don't trust one another. It completely changes our lens. And until we start dealing with that trauma, we're not seeing clearly, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Last week, I had Maddie Sampson on the podcast, and she does research on childhood trauma, or specifically, she focuses on poverty in the district in D.C., and how talking about trauma using play therapy can help kids reframe their realities to help them cope with it. If you're listening to this, Maddie, and I just messed up your dissertation, I'm so, so sorry. Um... (laughs) But I told her, I think it made it in the podcast as well, that I thought that the Gulf War was normal when I was in Israel, when I lived in Israel and played around with gas masks until it was not, until I said it out loud and people were like, that is ridiculous, Mish. That is terrifying. There's nothing (laughs) so sobering as when you talk about your internal family, like your family of origins experience to someone else and they look at you. Or they don't say anything and you're like, hmm. oh, that, that was crazy. That's, that's cra- Okay, cool. Like it just, it really will throw you off <laughs> like make you question everything about your life. It's, it's very sobering for sure. And sobering in a way of this should be a fundamental skill that we learn, right? I have 
conversations with people that think that they have not lived through a traumatic experience. And then I changed the character from them to somebody else, a very vulnerable person we both know. And they're like, stop saying that. That's terrible. But that's what you just went through. Yes. Because why? Because we're we're so armored up. Right. If it happens to me, it's fine. If it happens to someone else, it's a tragedy. And yeah. we learn that as children, like in our family of origins, we're just taught and groomed in a way to to live that way and just accept this is this is what this is. And it's I mean, it's a total internal in your in your brain. I don't know the actual word for it or whatever, but your brain is protecting you. It's a like a survival mechanism to be able to keep moving forward. Otherwise, we'd be crushed under the weight yeah. of these sort of literal tragedies happening to us. Mm. It must be related to heuristics. It's something that I study where your brain is preventing proteins and energies from being usurped. So it's just saying, well, we're not going to focus on this because this costs a lot of energy. Yes. So yeah. hypothetically, because I'm not a psycholog- psychologian, psychologist. <laughs> psychologian. Oh, my gosh. Please put that on your business card. That is a new word. It's not, I, you know, I just ordered new business cards. Otherwise, Let's I go. would totally be psychologian. Psychologian. It's an unprotected <laughs> title. I can do this. So if you're, I'm not a psychologist. I, I reckon hypothetically that heuristics can be affected by those traumas and then happen what you say. Now, from now on, my body responds in a certain way that, does not make me freak out because I'm trying to protect myself or preserve energy. And and your body, like at the point of trauma, you separate from your body, right? So you're walking around this dismembered person, this unwhole person, because you're not integrated with your body. So like the whole work of healing is getting you back into your body and picking up all those pieces that you've like dismantled all throughout your entire life. So you're not trusting your body either, but your body is still sending you signals hmm. this entire time. So if you come into a situation where you there's a creepy guy. Here we go. That's like a everybody let's, knows. Let's like if there. I say if I say creepy guy, everybody oh, I've got I've got an instance I can think of. Oh, your body yes. is going to react in a way before you even can think this guy is creepy. Like your body shows okay. up first. So it's it's kind of, it's working against you. Your survival, your protection, all, all those things really are working against you and being able to function 100% in the world. Why do we do that? I mean, you know, I'm I am a person of faith, so I believe God like created the body like perfectly, knowing all the things that were going to be thrown at us. It's a safe way to keep moving forward. So For example, let's say a child is being abused by a parent. That child loves that parent even if they drastically, violently abuse them every day because a child will always protect their own family as a way to survive. The child does not want to break up the family or because that's their Mm. safety net. That's all they know. Children are very aware of their vulnerability in this world. They know I am a tiny person and these are bigger people than me and I can't live on my own. So I need this other person as awful as they are to still be with me to in a way protect me, even though in actuality they're not. 
it's, it's a, it's all about survival in a way. Yeah. I mean, you think of like things in our bodies, like we have our wisdom teeth removed, you know, when we get older, but like those were there to help us eat certain foods, you know, caveman days or whatever. There's the appendix and like other body parts that we have that we needed, but we no longer need as we've evolved and the world has changed. So will these things change? I'm not sure, you know. I think the more that we teach and learn and are willing to learn and and choose healing over everything, I think there'll be a progression towards wholeness. But I don't think, I don't think everyone's going to get it. I don't think we're ever going to live in a perfect world. Like this is not going to happen. But can we be equipped to move forward in a better, healthy way? Absolutely. How do we discern from understanding this is a good feeling this creep alert we need to listen to this creep alert and when should we say calm down it's time to take a step back i have two kids one has known me his most of his life as someone still living out of their trauma the other one has known me more as a healing version right i am very quick to teach my daughter to always trust her gut 100%. And we've been doing that for years. As soon as I learned, because she was not a, she's not a, (laughs) she was not a friendly child. She's great. But like she, you know how kids, you go up to them in the store and like typically, you know, their parents will be like, oh, say hi and whatever. And I'd be like, say hi. And she'd just like give them a look and look at me and go, no. (laughs) And I had to learn to respect (laughs) that like she knew she didn't want to talk to that person and I can't make her or well That's I mean right. I shouldn't make her right yeah, yeah I shouldn't make her give people hugs I mean that was only like a few years ago she's only 10 now so like most of her life I've lived under this listen to your kids they they have this discernment and just and fostering that and like watering it I remember when my my daughter was really young me and my husband had gone back to church and he told me something that I thought was wildly crazy and partially, what's the word they, like a heretic or whatever? Hmm. <laughs> like you're going yeah. to hell. No. Um, he said, <laughs> I believe that babies are born with the Holy Spirit. And I was like, you're crazy because, you know, I'd been taught my whole, you know, Southern Baptist and Catholic life that like you don't get the Holy Spirit until, you know, whatever. And then I watched my daughter discern these things about really adult situations that I was like, oh, maybe she already has that. Like that's already in her. I just need to water it. Like I don't need to put it in there. Like it's already there. So we're already born with that internal system. You know, some people call it their gut. Some people call it the Holy Spirit. Literally had this conversation again with my son last night, but like whatever you want to call it, like it's inside of you already. And if you water it, it'll grow. Now, my son, on the other hand, born with it he also has autism so like just a straight shooter okay right but the world has because of his trauma because of his trauma responses the world has already started washing that out of him and he questions it and i'm like no you know what is what is right what is good and what is true like you already know that go back to that when you lose your way when you're lost and when you're confused and when you're feeling torn Go back to like the internal, like what is in there? What is that telling you? Not up in your head, like your head will drive you crazy all night long till 3 a.m. In your gut, go lower. Get out of your head. 
what does your body mm-hmm. say about this? And I, I use this on everything. Me and my husband went to go buy a couch a few weeks ago. And he wanted this other couch. And I was like, I don't know, you know. And I was like, I'm going to take a big deep breath. And I'm going to, I'm like, it's not this couch. It's the other couch. And I feel completely at peace about the couch we bought. Let's go. So it's, it's uh-huh. with everything. You can feel good and at peace when you're trusting that, that internal gut feeling, whatever you call that, your internal guide, for lack of a better word. Huh. I never heard of that before. I'm going to like process this, of course. I'm excited to process this. My, my first response right away is that that is so helpful because if you put it like this, your gut will rarely tell you, oh, oh, slit that person's throat. <laughs> yes. I'm. Well, I don't want to say, you know, I mean, like, I think there's an exception for like psychopaths and things. Yes, like, yes, I'm not sure yes, how yes. they're gut system maybe i have no clue different but for most people not they're not they're not psychologians okay (laughs) (laughs) no but they yeah (sighs) they may be wired differently but i would say for the mass majority of the world 98 percent, your gut is just not going to lead you wrong your gut doesn't Mm. tell you go use drugs your gut right. doesn't tell you, go drink yourself under the table. Your gut doesn't tell you, I should cheat on my partner. No, it doesn't. Your gut response, if we if we just make a value statement of it is probably not wrong to listen to your gut. And if you need a little bit more time, it is okay to tell anybody I need 24 hours to process this. Easily. I don't have to decide now. What is it with this culture and minimizing gut? Why do we put rationality Mm. so high on the scale of skills that we need? I don't even think it's rationality. I think it's the BS politeness thing we have going on. The only people that do it better than Americans are probably the Brits, where it's like the 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 mask of the politeness and and that gets us in trouble i mean there's a person that talks about being nice will get you killed in almost every situation where a woman was assaulted mugged you name it niceness played a part i mean jeffrey dahmer you know his victims that were women that you know i mean he was a good-looking man so like Obviously, he's not a creep, you know, and I'm just going to be nice. And then we all know how that story ends. So it's the politeness, I think, that washes away the inherent need to trust our gut. We put that over everything. I'm being honest, but I'm not being polite. Well, it's actually better to be honest in kindness. Kindness is, you know, love, Mm. honesty, and truth, you know, but being nice and being polite. Dan Allender always says, niceness avoids kindness pushes in yes oh a whole different episodes only on this topic would be great but we asserted that trauma affects our mental models big time Mm -hmm. and we have asserted that guts and mental models are are connected with each other and that sometimes we need to listen to our gut a little bit more. And we also need to discern when our gut is messed up mm-hmm. because of our trauma. That is very tangible for me and for you and for everybody. And and it frustrates me that 
I still enter faith spaces, churches. That's this is my field, right? I want to talk with churches about how they can be a leadership organization. That's what a church essentially is. Let, let me give a background there, an explanation of why I believe that. Because if you strip away the congregants, there's only leaders left. There's a volunteer leader. There's a children's leader. There's a pastor. They're all leaders. They need leadership development, mm. but for some reason, their main focus is Jesus, and Jesus is essential. I don't want to downplay it, but lately I've been saying, why do pastors know Calvin, Luther, or maybe even Bill Hybels, but they have no clue who Daniel Goleman is or Peter Scazzaro, who are seminal leaders when it comes to emotional intelligence in leadership. Mm. Because you are a leadership organization, but you focus on things that are, in my opinion, not necessarily irrelevant, but I would rate them as lower priority. So surface. this is another thing. Yeah, surface, right? Mm. Or some some are even very important, like Jesus, very important. But it's 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 not Jesus's function. I've been saying this for weeks. It's not Jesus's function to to heal somebody from trauma. Jesus mm. can certainly help, but that's not the reason why Jesus came on earth. That's my personal faith statement right there. Recognizing these traumas and these effects, how can we teach leaders? I guess there's two parts to this question. How can we raise awareness for leaders that the way our body stores trauma is absolutely massively important? And how can faith leaders be more inclusive towards people with trauma? Like, How can we make them not just aware of their own trauma and their own gut, but also have a better radar for people with trauma in their congregation so they can serve them better. So I think a pivotal book that's come out in the last decade, probably, is The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. It talks about trauma in the body, the effects of trauma in the body, how that leads to health issues, blah, blah, blah. Okay. All the things, the like psychology Bible on trauma. Mm -hmm, if you yeah. Will. If a faith leader has not done their own work of healing from their trauma, there's no way they're going to recognize trauma in someone else. In fact, they're probably going to be triggered by other people more than they're going to be able to recognize trauma okay. in someone else. So a trauma-informed leadership, just trauma-informed people in general would be great. I think of how police officers are not that trauma-informed, and that's disturbing yeah. because they have to make quick assessments and judgments on on situations and sometimes they need to already have that in their toolbox so same with when i get my yearly mammogram i would love for her to be trauma informed you know so that she would know i'm freaking out in here i'm in yes. a closed room and you're molesting my boob right now and luckily the place i go to they're very good and i would consider them trauma informed and is there a class is there a book there's everything like trauma informed is not something that like you can just log on and take this class and are are there programs nice. that do that sure but it's just knowing your own trauma processing that trauma and then you'll be able to see it better in others but also to just learn more be trauma informed mm. learn more about your own trauma will help you recognize other people's trauma and then just continue to be a learner and more curious about other people and about trauma read a book every once in a while you know when you guys get together to do your leadership whatever getaways like have someone come yeah. and teach you something about trauma it's healthy for you and it's healthy for your i was gonna say constituents it's not the right word congregation yes yes um, and 
the other thing that like bothered the heck out of me is that people will use the verse in the Bible that says, I'm a new creation in Christ. Cool. Yeah, you are. And also do the work. You are not healed from your trauma because you decide to follow Jesus. So many times they use the Jesus Band-Aid as like, well, I follow Jesus now, so my life is better. And I'm like, who are you Mm. selling this garbage to? Because I can tell you, as soon as I started following Jesus, my life got worse. Um, People are looking for a shortcut. There is no shortcut to healing. It is a lifelong road that you will walk and continue to walk. And you'll take a break and sit on the side for a little bit, but... It's a lifelong walk, and there's no shortcut to it. Is Jesus helpful in your healing? Uh, Yeah, obviously. Okay. But it's not Jesus, period, the end. Now the rest of my life will be great. And I cannot be the only person that loves Jesus that thinks this as well and thinks or knows that the church is selling some kind of garbage pop psychology about Mm. this Jesus Band-Aid that's just going to fix everything. It's like using Jesus as a crutch, but again, that's not the function of Jesus. Mm. How can we change the narrative around that in in churches? What needs to happen? I love a vulnerable leader, one that doesn't try to BS their way through. You know, pride is a very toxic drug a lot of faith leaders are high on. There's something Mm -hmm. about that position, too, and... It's been studied and people, I mean, I think we see it. We have been seeing it for the last at least 10 years of like this role is very taxing and something happens when certain people lead large groups of people and become idolized and they start to hide behind that guarded wall of I'm a perfect individual, be like me. But If you read the Bible, like everything Paul wrote is like, I'm a horrible human being. Like, where's the humility that I personally struggle with as well? Because as a leader, like you think you need to have all your stuff together. Otherwise, are you really a leader? But that's only because it's been modeled for us for so long that like leaders don't fall. And then we see leaders fall. So really, where's where's the lie? Do leaders fall? Are they infallible? When are we going to get away from that? When are we going to start to see that, like, we're all human beings? This is our very first go around the sun here. We're all new here. Something that we tell our son all the time is we've never raised a, right now, 17-year-old before. And he looks at us baffled, like suddenly he thinks we went to college to raise a 17-year-old. You're our first kid, okay? You're our first pancake. We're going to burn you on accident. Of course, the first pancake doesn't turn out as great because this is our first time doing this. We're going to fail. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're all still learning. So... Can we just get to a place of humility and admit Hmm. that we are all very messed up individuals? I just had a conversation with Aaron Bailey from Launchpad Partners, if you're listening to this high, about something similar that, that data shows us that we need to take care of our bodies. We need to take breaks. 38 hour weeks are more productive than 80-hour weeks, as a matter of fact, 80-hour weeks study over study shows has adverse effects on 
on productivity. And again, the marketplace is slowly adjusting, but face bases, oh no, you should work for $25,000 a year, no insurance, and you need to work 52 Sundays and the rest of the days. No sabbaticals, no vacations. Terrible. I'm not surprised that the leaders that we are all listening to don't have bandwidth to learn anything trauma-informed. Where do the, Where's the space? Yeah, there's no space for them. And I mean, we see that the same in nonprofit world too, where people mm. are underpaid, overworked, undervalued. It, you're right. Like in the marketplace, absolutely. Like things are starting to shift, even though they're very slowly shifting. And I think the other part of that is like in our world in general, like you talked about teaching inclusive leadership is not also not linear. It's not like do this, do this, do this, check, done. Here you go. Here's your, here's your trophy. You're now an inclusive leader Um, because things are changing. We have learned more about ourselves and the brain in the last 20 years than we have Mm. in the last, what, hundred. And so because ironically, just like technology is moving a lot faster than it has in even mm. our lifetime, the thirst for knowledge, the curiosity has blown up so much so that we're learning things, we're learning more things, we're learning them at a rapid speed. And we're going to continue that, I think. I don't think this train is slowing down. I don't yeah. think it's stopping at the station or going back to the 1950s like some people would have it happen. There's opportunity here. At this point, ignorance is a choice. So if you choose Mm. to be ignorant about something, that's on you. That's something you're going to have to deal with. What is your message to the faith leaders across the nation? Listen to people that are not like you. There has been more times than not where I have sat across from a pastor or two or three who have talked to me like I'm new here, who have decided that because I'm a woman, my opinion is not valuable. And I'm, you know, a cisgender woman, white woman. So if they don't value my opinion, I can't think of, or I can imagine how little they put value towards the BIPOC community, the LGBTQ plus community. So that's a problem. Listen to people that are different from you, have different experiences than you, and value what they share. Even if you don't like it, you don't have to like what everyone says, but a broken clock is right twice a day. You're going to glean some sort of wisdom from listening to somebody that is not like you. That's good advice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. I feel Thanks like we me. could do this. Absolutely. I think we could do this for a couple of hours and change the world together. Exactly. Um, Just give us like two more hours. We'll have it all my, solved. Yes, that's it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think I have auto transcription on this software so we can even publish it and send it to the White House. That's how it there works, right? Yeah. But thanks for sharing wisdom. Thanks for being on the podcast. And please, I, I think uh, I share this with Jen that I want to do a special edition of a podcast where we talk about trauma and sex me and jen will love that (laughs) yes maybe you guys together and i'll just sit down and let you talk and there will be a lot of (laughs) f-bombs dropped between me and that's okay that's okay it's unclean it's fine it's good
has been the Models We Live By podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy this content, it would mean a lot to me if you look me up on Instagram or TikTok as Mish Van Essen. The music is by AGST and the song is called Flaw. Looking forward to sharing with you again next time.